Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob Barr. I'm here with Pastor Eric. Hey. And we're going to be talking about <sighs> topics surrounding abortion from a pastoral viewpoint and from a church body viewpoint. God, I pray for your favor. pray for you to clear the way as we're talking about um, controversial or hard things. I pray that we, um, I just pray for your spirit to say what you want to have said and for people to, to understand and hear what your, what your desire and heart is on, on life and death and, and, um, and this culture that we're living in that's navigating these things. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I have a note here that says uh, chit chat because I know that you like to chit chat on podcasts. <laughs> Personally, I'm more of like the let's get the business guy. But, yeah. So you're the normal business guy. <laughs> well, like I sort of like you know going right for the topic. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna move this up. If, if I'm actually doing the recording, then I have oh. to have you really direct on that. Oh yeah. Is yeah. that is that better? Yeah. Okay. Let's see that compared to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we chit-chatted. What is the name of this podcast? So it's called the Pro-Life Team Podcast. Okay. And, and the who, who's the team? So the audience goes, to, the audience is primarily executive directors of pregnancy clinics. Okay. Um, and then it also would include leadership people, okay. people of leadership and pro-life organizations. And then... We've been growing the audience to now include people who would say, um, I want to support life or support support the culture of life. Okay. Um, and so, and then that, all, all of those groups would be within the sphere of um, the Christian sphere or followers of Jesus sphere. But these are people who are sort of called into these certain areas, perhaps. Yeah. And um, cool. Well, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Um, and this is on YouTube, and then also on a and the pod. So I could pick this up like on Apple or Spotify. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I have you to thank for this podcast because you sort of inspired me to yeah to huh? to want to do a podcast. I am the inspiration, <laughs> and, and I have finally been invited on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank well, you. And, and and part of that is that it's sort of a hard topic, like especially for churches to navigate this. A lot of churches, I, I think, would probably prefer to talk about other things okay. because I think it's a hard thing to navigate with a wide range of people who are, you know, whether they're followers of Jesus or not followers. And then when it sure. comes to this topic, some people consider it a a hurdle that, you know, sure. might, might block someone from the church doors. Mm-hmm. But then other people might say, well, then who are you unless you take a stand on good things? Mm-hmm. And so. Well, there are a lot of good things to take a stand on. Yeah. We could yeah. have endless stands. Um, but yeah, so. Um, and I listened to your podcast just recently. as And the church and state one. The church and state. Yeah. Pastor and pastor having virtual breakfast over a podcast and talking about things at the earliest hour of the day. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I think we've done two. I mean, I did one on the, right when the the brief was leaked. Exactly. Yeah. With uh, Ashley, who's a lawyer, and yes. Michael, her husband. That's right. Yeah. Who will probably soon be a pastor at the village. That's right. Yeah. So, 
I'm, I'm excited. I didn't know what, I mean, A, I've not prepped for this at all. Yeah. So yeah. I know nothing of what you're going to ask me. <laughs> well, and to be fair, I think you have a lot, a lot to offer just based on what you've been recently talking about. And so sure. I think you've got some real depth to pull from. Okay. Well, <laughs> a- ask away. Okay. And I will, I will try to do my best to answer. All right, so my first, uh, so James 5.16 says, um, Confess your sins one to another mm-hmm. so that you may be healed and the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. So, and then, so taking that into consideration, um, and then the stats say that uh, one in four women have had an abortion. So what are your thoughts on inviting women and men to share their confession, their confession story of abortion in order to seek and find healing amongst trusted church family or trusted friends um james 516 styles like what are your thoughts on james 516 with people who might have you know might 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 have experienced abuse or harm or or might have an abortion story in their in their past yeah well i mean you're asking a couple a couple questions that so let's just start with creating a confessional community which is probably more important than just being directed at abortion right a community that is willing to listen to things that are hard and not react right so that's good if i say in a group of people i struggled last week and i looked at pornography now, not everyone's saying, oh, we forgive you. God forgives you. Go. But a creative community that can pursue that a little bit, want to know exactly what is happening there, why it happened, what, uh, who else knows, what, what kinds of things historically have brought you to this place, all that. So that's a confessional community. And then being willing to pray for that person and then also being willing to give them directives as to what they need to do um, to step into repentance because repentance is different than confession right confession is just acknowledging what you've done Mm. repentance is changing the way you think about something in order that you might move in an opposite direction so repentance is actually moving backwards and saying i will think differently about the whatever experience i had that led me up to choosing to look at pornography or choosing to yell at my wife or choosing to lie or whatever those things so that's like an immediate thing but then there's you're addressing so that's a confessional community now you're addressing something like a secret right i had an abortion when i was 17 and now i'm a 30 year old woman right and i've never told anybody Mm -hmm. so now you need a community that is simply there for healing right not judgment yeah right uh and uh to deal with the the stigmas that are built onto that so that's a lot more. First, the community has to be safe. Um, so it can't be a community that says, I can't believe you did that. Right? Yeah. What were you thinking when you were 17? Like, can't be one that's shaming or contemptuous. It has to be one that leads someone both to the cross, where forgiveness is, right? And also to the grace that's produced there and the mercy of God. And um, don't don't think that the women that jesus involved himself with in and certainly paul was engaged with didn't have abortions because abortions were rampant in the roman empire so it's not it's not like this is a new thing um just because it wasn't talked about in the bible so there they they were welcome in the 
new kingdom and they were forgiven and they were offered grace and invited into a life not of shame, right? A life out of where they were. Yeah. And that's, it, so that's a big important part. Shame built onto there's a there's a shame like it's very hard because it's a shameful thing, right? So you've got to be able to create a community that doesn't have shame, which means it doesn't have judgment. Um, that doesn't mean you don't hold people to account for things. I'm not talking about that. It's about how you're talking about confession and healing. And yeah. that, that's important. So it aspect. sounds like the culture of life has, yeah, setting, setting up this, this, this place of um, where, it, where it's safe, where it's safe to, to share and to yeah. open up needs to be present before someone can do that in a in a healthy way it sounds yes. like yeah. yeah so i i think that so the last one and i, I get uh, is that just since we brought up statistics the there are two groups of women who are going you're going to find in those stats one is underprivileged minorities where the highest right mm-hmm. and wealthy women right those are the two Wealthy women who already have a few children. Those are the two are aborting. They can't have another. They don't want another one or it's too much. It's going to stretch their finances. Or you've got the economic, like a a child is too much or whatever reason they're using, you know, but it tends to be minority and it tends to be younger, at least in the data that I've looked at. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen data that seems to reflect, well, especially the minority group, because it seems like a lot of Planned Parenthoods are located, a lot of abortion clinics are located in those, you know, certain types of demographic communities. Well, and to be honest, uh, minority communities don't have health care in general. So that's the other issue. So you have two kind of things happening there. You have Planned Parenthood becomes, quote unquote, and I'm doing air quotes. Can't air quotes. <laughs> the health care for minorities. Yeah, so that's, that's their new word, too. Well, that's what they like to say. And I think, you know, you want a little admonition to the church. I mean, alongside crisis pregnancy centers, why not just start planting low-cost uh, health care? general health care centers yeah. in there are, minority there's, spaces there's some trending in that direction but it's we're not there yet but it's, it's very absent yeah it's yeah it's i would say the, the pregnancy clinics that are that have reached that level of health care i would say there's probably one in california that's got several locations and then there's one in florida but most most are most are providing um pregnancy related only you know, pregnancy right. focused yeah health care yeah. so yeah so those are i i think yeah, so I mean that's how you create a confession. I think those are elements, but that has to be from top to bottom, right? I mean, you have to have a community where your leaders are willing to confess and repent in order to model what that looks like. So yeah, so essentially, there's all these roots that need to be established before we can have a, a healthy tree, mm-hmm. and that seems to reflect something that Jordan Peterson said when he was asked about abortion. So when he was asked, he said he sort of redirected the conversation to all of the the roots that would so when a woman faces an abortion decision there's probably 50 other things in her life that have not been addressed or or um you know healed or or there's lots of things that lead to an abortion so it's not like abortions the the first domino in a series right. it's more like the 50th domino of bad things that are happening right and he seems to redirect things to back to like the rebuilding a desire and promoting the benefits of marriage as being sure. the healthiest place to not find yourself in a place where abortion becomes the right. 
you know, a likely or yes. where someone's considering that. And so that seems to be like a, yeah, so that, that goes back to the roots of having, you know, the, you know, the roots really affect future dominoes. Right. Well, and, and maybe this, and you can add this out, maybe if you don't want to go this direction, but I think the, one of the things, if you just want to talk about the abortion or the, the pro-life movement, you have two, what I would call two movements within the movement. I would agree that there's different parts of the movement, and some are kinder than others. Well, and I, I yeah, and I would say that, but I also just say like if you have a strong Catholic movement and you have a strong Protestant movement, and, and they kind of meet in the middle because of their theology. So, uh, whereas you know the Protestants are much more willing to embrace different forms of birth control, and you don't have that in the Catholic movement. Definitely, because of because a lot of birth control. Well, some birth control would be classified as a abortifacient, and then some birth control would be classified as, well, the, the, the only quote, quote, air quotes, birth control that the Catholic Church would promote would be NFP, natural family planning. Yes, I, I yep. Yeah. So that, that, that has a problem because I, I would argue that both should be moving as, I think you should provide birth, you know, all open, like free birth control to women in underprivileged communities, and you should have stricter laws against abortion so that you should be creating and, and you should be supporting the women who are pregnant and with unwanted pregnancy. So you have these three tiers that way. I mean, it's already been shown scientifically, you provide, you provide, or not in, in studies, you provide pe- low-income people with birth control and they don't have babies and they don't abort babies, abortion levels go down. Um, but the problem is, oh, well, we're promoting another moral thing that we have a problem with. Which is sex outside of marriage. Yes. But we're not trying to impose. Like, so what are we talking about? Like, life, right? Life is the most important thing. It's the thing that God created. We're image bearers. And there's a lot of our, I mean, you can go through a lot of this and there's a lot of disagreement. But societally, we don't want women to be dealing with the damage of taking a life, Right. Yeah, and 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 so I think you know part of that is we have to we have to as Christians remember that we live in a pluralistic culture and we, with people who all come from different faith and come from different spaces and belief systems. So we have to figure out how to compromise that best leads towards goodness, right? Because we're not going to have a theocracy. You and I are not going to somehow bring about America as the kingdom of God. It's just not going to happen, right? And so our job is to try to bring the kingdom of God as best we can um, and compromise where we have to for, yeah. the, for the best outcome. That's at least where I stand, which may be in disagreement with many people. <laughs> but Yeah, well, it's sort of um, it's a realistic place to find yourself when it comes to navigating how we, we live in America. We live with people that are on in a variety of postures towards yeah. these ideas and and we're trying to we're trying to listen to God's voice we're trying to yeah and, and trying to bring yeah and it, yeah there's just a lot of, there's a lot of variables <laughs> so, there are well and um, it's it's why we argue at the village um, that it's healing the city one person at a time the reason is we believe you you bring you bring one person into health and that will affect four or five people sure that has that kind of impact and it's 
my experience of church history is it's very difficult for the church to try to shape policy and no matter what country or state they belong to historically it just goes bad for them when it goes well is when they have their heads down and they take care of the of the basic um fallout from the state so you know in in roman times what did the church do two things it valued family so a typical christian or family would have multiple kids and a typical roman family would not so big families then when all of the children who were unwanted were taken out into the forest guess who would scour the forest for babies and to form children the church so their families grew bigger interesting so why did the church become so powerful by constantine's time not because they had you know they they did convert people but it wasn't conversion is that they outgrew everyone hmm. and when you and then when the plagues came and the elite left rome things like that the christians stayed and so if i take care of you while you're dying and the people like the priestess and the priests of the roman temples and are all leaving what are you going to do you're going to say well I, I think this god that your worship who keeps you here taking care of me might might be one that i should think about and and so the conversion happened because people engaged in people's suffering really when the church went bad is when it became state right when constantine took over and he declares he sees this oh wow like the christian church is huge I need to, I, I need to make, I need to bring them in. So he legalized Christianity and then it became a state religion, so to speak. And then we have the middle ages, which was not good. I mean, if you know anything about history, I mean, there are good parts of it, but it was the marrying of state and church and the, the church became corrupt because yeah, it had power. And yeah. that's the thing we have to be very careful is power is dangerous. Raw power that's not submitted to Christ and, and the state will never be submitted to Christ no matter how you want it to be because hmm. <laughs> God didn't come down with tablets like he did with Israel and say I'm your God and you're my people and here's you're my state like you're the representative um, now the state is the church like you and I are the representatives of, of the kingdom of God so what are your thoughts on how a Jesus loving person can engage as a local state representative where where does where does that how does you know because stealing is wrong murder is wrong lying under oath is wrong there's lots of things that there's not and there's lots of things that are wrong that are not illegal but there's several things that are illegal that are also wrong and but when it comes to trying to you know legislate morality when it comes to how someone can be a how someone can build a culture of life in mm. a in a city when it comes to like the you know local you know school board positions um city council positions like what is the, you know what are your thoughts on you know how someone can do that well in a way that would would honor Jesus yeah well i would consider someone becoming a representative as a missionary not as a job like jonah going to nineveh kind of missionary (laughs) it could be jonah going to nineveh or just a missionary to a foreign country okay i mean the the legislature and the state and the federal government they all are a foreign country of which you are being sent okay Uh, so i think there's so i think you don't do that without support i also think 
you have to go to the state government to represent your people. See, this is the you're a state representative. You don't get to just represent your interests or, or the interests of the backers. Once you're voted in, you're supposed to represent the interests of all people and what you think is best for them mm. because they elected you and you're now there. So that's that's there's a lot of moral dilemmas that you have to face that I don't have to face because I'm not a state legislator. Okay. Right. I mean, or, or federal in the federal government, and like I'm not a senator or a congressperson. Yeah. Yeah. These are hard things. That these you, are hard things. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, going to Nineveh was hard. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but and and Jonah went with the attitude that oh. they should all be punished, and God says, "What? Like you know? Yeah, they repented, and so He let them. I mean, Nineveh returned a generation later to its evil ways, but for a generation, it yeah, lived he was he was a little sad that God didn't just smite them right yeah, there. And, yeah. And, well, I think. There's, yeah. there's a power of the godly man so if you, or woman. So if you go to the state legislature and you, you're you someone who listens to people even when you disagree with them, when you're someone who honors humanity even when you disagree with people's choices, when you try to stand up for what you think is right but not in a way where you're, you're condemning other people and, and yelling at them and pointing out their mistakes yeah. but really trying to bring about good things. People have a hard time arguing against that. Um, I think, yeah. and I don't think we have. I mean, maybe we do have a lot of those people. I just don't know them. Um, it, it feels like as you move up towards power, power is dangerous. Yeah. Um, so, um, so thinking about defending life in our in our culture, um, maybe you know. In a variety of places, you know, from within the church body, within our city, within our culture, um, what are your thoughts as a pastor um, trying to help your church um, form ideas or sure, sure. or figure out and navigate the, this topic of life and death when life begins? Like it's sort of like yeah, the, you know the the the, the uh, death is being brought right to the beginning of life. Um, that's sort of what we're talking about, and so what are your, yeah? How do you navigate that, and help people help people also navigate that? Well, it's it's kind of odd because in the Bible there are two theological streams or ways of thinking about this that are both true, and one is that we have, and and then we've lost it as people of God. But what I would call an, an embodied theology, the reason that our culture and in particular, even within our church and the evangelical church in particular, we're struggling with how to talk about abortion, how to, you know, address it politically is that we don't have what I would call an embodied theology. So we think our spirit or our soul in some sense is separate from our body. So that's why it's easy to separate what's happening in our body, right? So if you're a woman and you have a baby, and life has been produced inside of you, if you have a sense of your body isn't actually who you are, um, then you don't have a connection to what's happening in you. And it's easier to have a conversation about, is this not life or is this life, right? That's, mm. that's, and because a lot of times we talk about, we take hold of a little bit of what Paul says of, of this tent this, that it's going to pass away, that we think, oh, the body, like we're going to go somewhere better and our body doesn't really matter that much. 
but what we don't realize is what's the thing that God uses to to represent himself in the world you your body your physicality you are literally an idol of God you're a living icon you're a moving around waving representation of God like they're supposed to see you and say God right it's not your spirit it's not your soul yes those things give you substance but it's your physical body and what's happening in you and so we need to spend more time on that because you're going to be resurrected. And though you may not look like you in the sense of like the scraggly beard and the, I don't know what the, your resurrected body is, but I will look at you and I will say, that's Jake. And my spirit and your spirit won't like mingle together as mist. I will push you and you, I'll feel a force, right? We will, we're bodies. Yeah. We're resurrected bodies. That's important because it helps us understand that what's happening in us is that a image bearer, physical is being formed inside of us which means it doesn't matter when life begins that's a stupid question an image bearer is being formed in us a representation of god is being developed in us and will be put forth that so that gives that 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 child inside of you high value and the bible is clear about that without you even having to go to particular verses the other thing the Bible is very clear about is it actually doesn't care that much about the baby inside when it comes to laws. What it cares a lot about in Jewish early law is what happens to the baby afterwards, how you take care of the living, right? It's very, very concerned about the living, um, which is another failure of the church, right? Is that we don't care about the living as much as we should. We don't, because the Bible is very clear in the Old Testament and Jesus picks this up about the orphan which i would call a child is an orphan in a sense right because they they are completely dependent on whoever is around them mm. they're in a sense they're being developed into the family they're being adopted in to the family that birthed them but they're orphaned i mean like in a and when i and i mean that in that they have no sense of that's mom they're developing the sense that that's mom and that's dad they don't come up with come in with a well-developed family system in their brains you may have that well-developed family system but they're figuring it out so in a sense internally they're orphaned and so you're bringing them into your home you're giving them parents you're giving them identity um, and that's important and the widow so the, we, the people who are disadvantaged and weak babies are weak and disadvantaged right we're supposed to spend a lot of time taking care of them um, and that's another thing we struggle to do um, I think we as a church like to give money to causes, but we don't necessarily like to get messy ourselves. Yeah. You know, and one of the things, uh, uh, so, so those are the things that you have to talk about in churches Yeah, is your body <clears throat> is an image bearer. The baby that's in you is an image bearer. Like your physicality is super important. It, like it, it's part of who you are. It's how you, you speak. That's a physical thing. It comes out of your body, like your mouth, your tongue, you make sounds. So these are important things uh, we yeah. have to put a lot of, and I would, I would, I would say that, um, so there's, you know, having breath or, you know, having, you know, making it through your first birthday and, and sort of getting past this dangerous time for as a youngest people in our, in our society. Uh, but I would say, you know, having breath is, is excellent. But what's even more important is meeting Jesus when you're older. And because like, what's the value of breath without 
having, you know, being born again, I would say is more important than being born the first time, but you don't get the chance to continue down a road unless you're, you survive your first birthday. Sure. In order to reach your second birthday. Right. Well, and I mean, you know, the church you go to, which is mine, would, would say that that child's salvation sits under its parents' salvation. Under like a umbrella. Yes. So. And I would. But at the same time, like, but having breath at that young age, um, it's just, I mean, let's say someone, you know, is rescued from abortion Mm -hmm. and they're, let's say they're 30 years old now and they don't know Jesus. um, I think the real value of life comes when they, you know, meet Jesus sometime down the road. Sure. You know, let's say past a certain age of understanding. And, um, but I would say that that's more, so, you know, when, when someone focuses on, and not to say that someone has to take care of all issues, like, you know, it's okay for the, the anti-cancer group to focus on, you know, solving the cancer problem or, or for the, this group to solve their problem and not to take on all problems as a way of saying, well, you're not taking care of all problems. Therefore, yeah, what you're doing is, yeah. So it's good for people to help find, help, have, help people find breath. But what's even more important is for that second birthday is, uh, is, yeah, I would, I would consider that to be more important than the first birthday. Yeah. I mean, yes. But you, but yeah. And so, but they, they, but the, yeah, but the roots and the dominoes have to come in a certain order. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing, if you want to talk about just, I think we have to acknowledge that life together is messy. Okay. Because you I mean let's this is a little bit off the no, that's beaten fine. path, but what you were talking about. But like let's just say our church. Yeah. Right. We have people like you who I would say are pro life activists, right? You you your business, your life is built around these things. And we love you and support you and engage with you in that. And there are people who, who line up really with kind of your way of thinking about it. But there are definitely people in our church, like even with the Roe versus Wade like our church had different thoughts on that. Some wanted to celebrate, some actually cried. And that's an interesting, but it's because of what they believe about how laws are worked, what they believe about things in the public sphere versus what they believe in the private sphere. Yeah. And how they're to act, like what they think is the best. Because I would say if all the followers, all the members of the village, if you ask them, do you believe that abortion is wrong and that there should be no abortions? They would all say yes. But how you go about getting that looks different. And so even in that, we have to discuss those things and be sensitive to one another and try to engage in, in understanding where people are coming from. And that's messy, right? That, but you want a confessional community or you want a community that's authentic and moving towards good things, you've got to deal with that mess. And I think that's um, having a church community where people can talk about things, you know, it's not required to all be on the same page on every posture and every point and have that ability to discuss while still being loving and caring towards each other. Um, because when someone meets Jesus when they're 50 years old and they're, and they're a new believer, they're going to experience... Um, a journey mm-hmm. toward, you know, they're, 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 they're at the beginning of their journey. And so it's really good to meet someone where they're, where they are without bringing shame and judgment just because they're brand new to, sure. to this new life. Sure. 
Well, I, and I think it's the journey. I also think it's just different ideas, right? A different yeah. we interpret how Jesus speaks about things, right? I mean, one of the things I'm I'm a pacifist, so life is a real important thing to me. I mean, it'd be interesting for your pro life thing to talk about the you know the um, what do you call it? Am I just blanked? But war or but war or the uh, capital capital punishment is like okay. Uh, so the taking of a life of a murderer, like I I don't think we have that right to do that. We can punish them by putting them in jail for life, but we don't have the right to take their life. Only God has the right to take life, which is why I think a woman doesn't have the right to take life. I think you have, we, we do this all the time. And I think this is a hard, here's the hard part for me is in the pro-choice world or however they want to phrase their things now, is that none of us have full choice, right? You, you're not, pro-choice people are not asking for full choice. Right? Because that would be dangerous if everyone had pro-choice in everything. Well, then you and I, we, we just... It'd be lawless. They'd be lawless. Yeah. So you're not looking for that. Everybody has regulation. You have to admit that. And so what what pro-life people or people who are in the more progressive pro-life are saying we want regulated choice, let's let's start there. Like, you don't have... You don't, so for me personally, like, I believe in regulated choice. Let's start there because we can get there probably and then we'll work our way backwards. Um towards where we want to be but you lose your choice i think personally that once you decide to have a child or by engaging in an activity now i think i understand a lot of where women are and why they would want to have an abortion and what's in front of them um, and it's very difficult for the state to come in and say you you have to like sorry you don't get to make a choice about your body. Um, I think that's like you have to at least when you're asking the state to say that to women, you gotta you gotta at least sit in the power that you've just given the state to to tell you what to do because um, it's bigger than. So this is complicated, but again, you don't you know that's for me when it comes to life. You don't get a choice to take life. That's yeah. not yours. It's God's. Now. I can live in a state that tells me, well, sorry, but the state says you can. And I can say, well, I don't think the state is right. And I can do my best in my calling. And that's the thing. Like some people are called to really be out front. Some of us are called to pray and support them. Some of us are called to other ways of embracing life, like adopting a family that or a woman who's has a baby or somebody who's, you know, underprivileged so we can help them you know, get good education, get to a place where they know how to make good choices. They don't feel bound by their cult, you know, whatever cultural circumstances they're in or financial circumstances. So, hmm. and that's, a, that's a lot of stuff. I just kind of, yeah, shot that's, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to think what I want to go next. Um, <laughs> Well, okay. Let me let me just put you into a new. Sure, and new, you can go ahead. And I feel free. Feel free to edit me. However, no, you no. Wish. I I think this is good, and and part of you know whether someone is working at a pregnancy clinic or they're working at a pro life place, they're all church going. Let's say fifty percent are Catholic, fifty percent are evangelical slash you know not. Well, Catholic there's and, actually now a pretty strong secular movement too um i would but most people that are listening to this podcast i would estimate 95 percent are probably in a in a are probably faith-based i don't know what percent we have that are not faith-based yeah they probably would not be engaged in i don't know yeah i don't know there is a there is a very strong humanist uh, uh, anti-abortion movement yeah um 
and it, and, and there's and there's logical reasons and um yeah i mean just yeah. the fact that you want your society to flourish and if you kill, keep killing its babies it's not going to flourish i mean yeah that's why what elon you, musk says <laughs> well and one, one of the things is like one of my i'm from gen x gen x you're a gen x or two right our our there we're 20 percent of of the culture like of the united states because 75 percent of us or something like that 50 percent i forget the number it's a huge number we're the most aborted generation right yeah we were in 1973 yeah i was born in 77 and i was so born in 72 so yeah so the year before and four years after roe yeah. v wade and, and that wasn't when abortion started in america but that was just when it be when the, when the when the decision was removed from the state level and was yeah and abortion yeah. can't decide on certain parts anymore right um, but anyway, yeah, our generation was, so there, one of the things that I always think about is there are a ton of my friends that are gone. Like I could have had a lot of other friends and people who, you know, I think God knows them and loves them, but I think, wow, he longed for them to be part, uh, a, a greater part of who uh, we are as a people. And now they're not here. So when, as when, when pastors consider, topics of life and death and abortion and these type of topics how how would you how 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 does how does a pastor navigate this when as from your perspective um from the pulpit like when they're looking to create something that's going to be presented to their whole church body which might include people who who have had abortions might include people who feel differently about it people who are supportive of you know one side or the other and how, you know, and, and and then when it comes to people watching and listening to the recordings and how yeah, do yeah, you yeah. navigate this when, in a way that will be helpful to how, you, you know, in a in the spirit of building up life in Jesus in the community? Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been at the village long enough to know that we don't address a lot of issues from up front. I mean. And, they, and that makes sense because there's room outside the pulpit to take on issues one person, you know, in smaller, in smaller groups. Yes. Well. So if you go look at First Corinthians as he talks about the structuring of, of church, you don't see him saying, let's talk about all the issues that are happening in Rome at a church service. In fact, he wants he talks about if people speak in tongues and people who come in don't can't understand them. Basically, the idea is you're not going to get a clear gospel. The point is, is that we are worshiping God. We're lifting up Jesus together. And that's the point <laughs> and that Jesus will draw all men to himself. So we want people to come observe and participate in that to know Jesus. That's the, that's the key, not telling you what you should think about this <clears throat> issue or that issue. I think if you preach the gospel and you stay true to scripture, people will be equipped to answer those questions and work them out together. I shouldn't be telling you what you should think or shouldn't think about certain things up front. Now, I mean, I can tell you, um, that God, God values life. I can give you a theology of life. I can give you a theology of the body and I can let you make those conclusions. And if you sit with me in private and you're like, I'm trying to work this through, then I'm going to give you more of what I think about it from my own personal perspective. But I want to give you the tools to come to these conclusions yourself. Um, because I think that's when you hold on to your ideas most is when you come to your the conclusion if i tell you this is exactly how it is now i'm not saying let me give you all the tools to figure out you shouldn't steal right um i think i can say from the pulpit yeah taking life is wrong in any form 
<clears throat> but I'm not going to make statements about what the state should do. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. My voice so is really of, going growl. Sure. Um, so one of my favorite stories um, regarding the my church, the village, mm-hmm. and and this topic sort of stems from uh, from Ron Brown. So and I love his story where he came here and and he's podcasted about this, and so I feel like it's fine to to sure, share his sure. story where he came here as an atheist looking to prove that God, you know, that this was wrong, the Bible wasn't true, that God wasn't, you know, trying to prove his atheistic point. And while being in this community, um, he was welcomed and he was, we, we talked to him, he came for, was it six months perhaps? And, and so, and then, and, and part of that journey of trying to, you know, prove, you know, prove his atheistic point, atheistic point Jesus met him and he experienced, like, a, you know, I guess he calls it the, the, the Paul, the, the conversion on the road to Damascus, like Paul yeah. did when it came mm-hmm. to like the having bolt. A, a, the lightning <clears throat> bolt experience. Yes, and 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 today, you know, and since then he's he's been he's been baptized. He's he's proclaimed his faith, and it's just it, and it's remarkable to see his journey from from one place to another place, and in this journey of meeting Jesus and having community throughout that experience. And and so I think that's a testimony to this church body. And then, and meanwhile, his view on abortion, um, I would say he's pro-choice, but he's not, he's like, he's sort of in the middle leaning on the pro-choice side of today. And so he's, he'll, but, but we can talk about it and he's on that journey and we can, and we have a good time, conver- you know, con- you know, and I understand that he's where he's at and we still enjoy um, dialoguing about it and trying to, um, talk about false beliefs, talk about truths and sure. And so I think that's and I, and I sort of wonder if other churches experience that and I don't think that's common at all, but I think that I think it's really good to have that kind of space sure. to be able to meet someone where they are in order to um, just converse about, you know, the different ideas in a way that's healthy and helpful to both people. And and I think also I think it's really good when if everyone's on the same page there's not really much iron sharpening iron going on. It's more of just like we're all, you know, either you agree or you're, you know, maybe this isn't the right group for you. Yeah. Whereas I think if you have people that disagree talking, you're actually able to rethink your idea and position and understand it better and understand where they're coming from and, and people will, yeah, learn in that situation perhaps. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think these are hard issues. I think what's interesting is that the way God turns things upside down. So why do you think Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? Well, everyone thinks Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of their debauchery and their sexual immorality. But if you go to Ezekiel, I'm pretty sure, I guess it's Ezekiel. Um, I hope it's Ezekiel. It's not either. It's either in Jeremiah or Ezekiel. I can find it. Okay. Uh, but they they that what's listed first is that they didn't take care of the widow and the orphan. Really? Yes. And, okay. And so that's, so you want me to do what I'm going to preach? What I'll preach is take care of the widow and the orphan. Well, the unborn is, a, is an orphan, right? That, that these are, so take care of them. I don't need to make a political statement. God's judgment will be on you if you are unwilling to take care of the widow and the orphan. And God's judgment is on the church when they are unwilling to take care of the orphan and the widow more than he would be on the state. Because I'm not, 
Like kings rise and fall. They're raised up by God and taken down by God. But the church is God's people. We are the new creation. We are, we're here to proclaim the kingdom of God has come. So if we weren't willing to take care of orphans and widows, and that's of the highest value. Like James, you quoted James. He has, what does he say? He says, what is true religion to take care of the orphan and the widow? Hmm. Right? So what is the true kingdom of God? When, what does Jesus say? You'll find the Holy Spirit. Like where you find God and in his children. The kingdom of God exists in children. So like there's an innocence and don't hinder the children from coming to me. Like this is so this. Yeah. yeah you know, that's what I'll preach. And I do preach. Yeah. That's really good. And it, and it seems like, yeah, you know, like the public school system has a lot of orphans who are, you know, their parents are disconnected and they're, they're, yeah. they're essentially being fed and taught by that you know, within that school system. Yeah. And, and so how can the church better engage with children, mm-hmm. with orphans in their community? And that's a that's an excellent desire, and yeah, yeah, and a and a, and a large amount of uh, work. Well, and I remember so when the village first started twenty years ago, I was sitting down with a social worker who works worked in Tucson in CPS at the time. They've changed their name, um, but uh, they're child welfare basically and i said well what is it what's the what could the church best do if a church really wanted to help out what could the church best do and she said stop going to food you know stop going and feeding the homeless stop you know and you, you might just be she actually said stop trying to figure out how you're going to support abortion or you know, you know plant pregnancy stop stop getting yourself involved in all of the cool organizations that you would be would be cool adopt one single mom and make sure her kids get to school, make sure she can get to work, make sure she has enough food, make sure her, her car works, and make sure her kids meet Jesus. Just do one fam, one kid. That single mom, you will you will bring those two kids won't be in the welfare system. They won't. They'll get their education. They'll meet Jesus. They'll never have to worry about having something to eat. Mm. They'll have uh, uncles and aunts and dads and moms all there for them. They have a community. And she said, if every church did that, you're going to adopt more than one because you're usually going to be big enough to adopt more than one. Yeah. And you can do that. And and if we all did that, it would you wouldn't need all of these different areas because people would want to be part of this thing. Like the friends of the single mom who don't go to church, they're going to want to go to that church because they're like, that church loves people. They care about people. They're oh, willing to go way far. That's that's been the model of the village. We haven't always done it well, but that's what we felt called to. That's why our thing is healing the city one person at a time. I do don't hear me say. I think agencies like you know, Crisis Pregnancy Center or Hands of Hope now here in, in Tucson, those are really important. Soup kitchens are important. Churches need to be involved in those. But I think she was trying to make a she was being dramatic and she was trying to make a point is that the average sitter in the church who comes in and sits down does not get their hands dirty. Yeah, they may get their money. They may give their money to these institutions, but they or they may do their once a month go down and volunteer somewhere. But every day they're not getting phone calls and and getting you know really being inconvenienced. And I think Jesus pretty much says, he does not say, follow me, pick up your paycheck and enjoy it and enjoy like a nice house and enjoy all these good things and really just enjoy that while you follow me and live a moral life. He says. Pick up your cross and follow me. 
pick up the most detestable thing for a Jewish person to pick up and follow me. And I think that means be super, super inconvenienced for me. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the idea of going straight to the person instead of to the program. Um, I mean, essentially programs like pregnancy clinics are going to the people. Like that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And and one way a church could do that would be to go straight to the person, or they could actually just work at a pregnancy clinic and then yeah. have unplanned pregnancy. You know, people in those scenario, in a scenario come in through the doorway and then counsel and provide that counsel to a person. But it sounds like people over programs because people's the that's the goal. Yeah, that is to help people, not to just grow programs. Really, in the end, we would it would be ideal, and I think every pregnancy clinic would agree that they would enjoy not being needed like that would be a beautiful thing if they were sure. um yeah sure. not and and really that speaks to making abortion unthinkable more so than legislating it out of existence because legislating things out of existence doesn't stop them just because something's illegal doesn't mean that it doesn't happen there's always going to be sin there's always going i mean because sin's part of yeah sin's never been legislated out of existence and but if if but if if you can encourage some if you reach a if you reach a mom and her children for that one family um some bad decisions will become unthinkable and some good decisions will become desired based right. on that relationship and reaching that person through Christ well i mean yes so the data is ridiculous if you have a single moms are tend to be the women who end up with abortions right and the data like says you are 75% less likely as a child to commit a crime if you have a man in the house. Any man. All right? A man who lays on, you know, a loser man who lays on the couch and doesn't work. So we know that's why marriage and family is important, right? But if you, if that's not possible, if you have a community where kids in a family like that are growing up and they're like, get in trouble and they know, oh, I've got uncle jake you know at church and i've got all these people who i can go talk to i've been talking to since i was two hmm. right if i'm in trouble they're not going to judge me they're going to do whatever they can to help me yeah right and that's life transforming for them right you give them a chance and i think that's the vision and the mission because then they're less likely to have an abortion they're less likely to go get in trouble in any way like it's not just a it's not just abortions it's like in general life like you're just more likely to get yourself in trouble in places you can't get out of um, when you don't have any support and so i think that's partly what we're, we're called to is to provide that support um, but i would argue that you could probably look around your church you don't even have to go outside of your church and find people who as you you know who are abortion-minded who've been abused who are struggling to have the next meal who um are struggling in their marriage or addicted to drugs i mean go down the list right they're all there yeah we're all there. we are all there but we don't look around yeah there's not one of us that's um not in need of healing and not in, and not in need of jesus like that's yeah uh, that's, that's, those are universal needs well and i think like the other thing i would argue you know to go back to Jordan Peterson. Okay. Because you, know, you quoted him in the beginning. Yeah. There's this idea of, he says, you know, clean your room before saving the world. Like, learn to make your bed. And that's one of his chapters in his 12 rules for life. Like, actually be able to clean your room before you start telling the world how to live its life. His point is, 
you can't you can't help other people if you're drowning. And mm. I would argue the church is drowning. Like it's drowning in its own sin and its own hypocrisy and its own brokenness. But we don't want to look at that. We tend to point our finger at the world a lot. It makes it very difficult. You know, we tell the world, oh, you need to be moral. And all of our examples that we have public is pastor after pastor being immoral. Yeah. And, and so it's like, oh, well, <laughs> you don't have a right to tell me anything. Yeah. And, and, and I think that speaks to the, yeah, how it, how humility and not, you know, not judging someone yeah. and call and, and then trying to invite them to healing mm-hmm. from, from hurt and from damage um, and from decisions and from, yeah, just inviting them to healing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being willing to be, I think, I mean, if there are anything I could leave the, the, the pro-life mu- movement is yeah compromise be willing to compromise not compromise your moral standing compromise you know whatever you can do to save a life do it if it means compromising so we don't get everything you want that's all right let's get something first and then we'll work our way to where we need to go yeah sometimes i don't feel like the pro-life movement wants to to do that and yeah we want to end up on the seventh floor but um, it's the easiest way to get there is usually the elevator, but when that's not in service, you take one step at a time. And if you yeah. try and take 12 steps at a time or, well, seven times 12, 84 steps at a time, you're not going to make it. You no one can jump that far. Right. And if you try and ask someone who's at a very different position to meet you all the way over here, it's better to, it's better to, yeah, it's better to save more lives than to save less lives. I agree with you. Well, if you go like the stats, like just New York, right? 70% of New York doesn't believe that after, I think it's after, it was either nine to 14 weeks, you should be able to have an abortion, right? Yeah. So, so that's, that's, in that's a very, that's a very <laughs> liberal state. So yeah. work on, don't worry about, like, yes, we believe that you shouldn't take a baby's life in those first 14 to whatever. I forget what it is. Yes. It, it may be the first trimester. We, we get that, but let's not have loss for second and third. Let's get rid of that and. You know, yeah. I know it's not that simple, but there is a willing. We need to have a willingness to say, "Okay, we're willing to compromise. We're willing to to move in a direction." Yeah, when someone says "all or nothing," they're saying nothing. Yes, I think that's the the hard part. And it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to compromise for that person that says "all or nothing" because they feel like they're 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 not obeying at the right level. And yeah, yeah, no, I agree yeah, with you. But at the same time, I feel like they're violating something. But inside. we we live in a world where we have different people who live in different zip codes, and we need to meet in the middle. Um, and, and that's a good place in order to then to continue traveling in a good direction. Yeah. No, um, I'm, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, let's try to provide as much health care for the un- underprivileged as we possibly can. Because like, that's what they need. They need health care. They need to be able to have general basic health care. It's just not there for the underprivileged. And we, we should be providing it. Well, thank you, Pastor Eric, for yes. being on the Pro-Life keep, Team podcast. Keep going. I'm so sorry. No, this is good. And, um, yeah, I would enjoy talking to you again on – yeah, sure. I, we, we, we could talk a lot more, but this was really good. And this will help someone drive that hour to work. Yeah, I sure will. <laughs> and hopefully it will maybe get them a little irritated at moments and get them thinking. Yeah, I think I think so. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I won't shut down your podcast. <laughs> 
Thank you. 